You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Philippians chapter 1, in verse 12 now, we're in a new section. I spent a number of weeks uh, in the prior one. The title of this message is Proclaim Christmas. Proclaim Christmas. So what's wonderful is here we're talking about the proclamation of the gospel, but we're actually talking about proclaiming Christmas. And so verse 12 says, Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way where there pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, Father, we come now ask that we would be your church. You would be our God. That your church, which you have called the pure, spiteless bride, that that would be true of us, God, as you do your work, as you do your work in us. And God, we need your miracles today. We need your power and truth today. And so grant that in your kingdom, in your name, and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen. amen. Proclaim Christmas. Proclaim Christmas. So Paul here is talking about that he is proclaiming the gospel of Christ and that it's doing great miracles. And it's doing miracles while he's in prison. Later on, Paul will say the gospel, it cannot be put in chains. It is actually victorious over every foe, over everything that stands against us. And he's actually in prison and there are some that are against him thinking that, hey, you know, you're in prison. Maybe you're not all that, Paul. Like, you know, maybe you're not really this apostle. Maybe these stories of miracle working power are for another day. Maybe it's over for you. And there's all this background chatter that's coming to him that people are talking about. And he's paying it no mind. He's saying that Christ is actually, actually doing great things. So related to Christmas and preaching of the gospel, our culture proclaims Christmas minus Christ. Doesn't it seem that way? I mean, our culture takes Christmas, which is our sacred holiday, <laughs> which belongs to us in Christ, and it makes it minus. You know, if you think about Christmas moss, you know, in that sense, it's not the right translation of it, but it's more, if you're from a, a Spanish culture, you know, that's more of Christ. And so it's all over the place. I, I recently, uh, getting ready for the holidays, I'm sure like you, you're probably cleaning your homes. So I'm getting after a few things like that. And I found a stack of bills like this. And I looked at it, I said, oh no. Oh no, Rick Soto, what have you done? What have you done? And so I did what any godly man would do. I did nothing. 
And then I go, okay, well, all right. So we've got to practice what I preach. Let's, 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 let's get after them. I had obviously, they were open. The envelopes were open. Anyway, I looked at them. I go, all right, well, let's call these people, right? So let's get on the phone. Hello, so-and-so. And so I call this one person. Well, it turns out that every single one of those bills, I had paid it. <clears throat> I just had forgotten. Normally what I'll do, probably something like you, especially if it's coming in the mail, you know, I'll write the dates. I'll write paid, and I'll write whether I sent the check or a credit card kind of thing. I'll have a little denotation there, and I'll keep it long enough in case I go to make sure that everything's okay, you know. So I had paid all of those bills. I went through a whole stack. I'm like, yes, Jesus, praise the Lord, right? So the last gal that I had on the phone, one of the last gals I had on the phone, she said to me, oh, no, Mr. Soda, you paid that back in April or something like that. And I said, well, great. And she said, so listen, um, happy holidays to you. So, you know, I've been making a lot of calls and all these people kept saying, happy holidays, happy holidays. And it was just a quick exchange. So I go, no, no, I'm going to go there. And so, so I go, you know, can I, can I stop you for one moment as you say happy holidays? Thank you so much for that very kind comment. Can I just tell you, can I tell you the truth? It's Merry Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. And listen, my friend, I love you. I bless you as I say that. And I just want you to know it's Merry Christmas. And she says, well, this call is being recorded. I go, praise the Lord, and let everybody in the department know that it's, that it's uh, Merry Christmas. And, she, and so she says, well, I'm not allowed to say that phrase. I'm, I, 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 what I'm allowed to say is that I agree with that phrase. <laughs> she says, I, I agree with everything about what you're saying. I go, listen, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm here to tell that to you. And so she goes, I agree with that as well. I'm not allowed to say anything more about that. And so, so I let her know, I go, well, then since this is being recorded, tell all of those people that it's Christ more at Christmas because it belongs to God. And she says, yes, it does. <laughs> so that's where we're at, right? That's where we're at, where this gal, she's just there on the phone and her job is threatened. If she says to me, Merry Christmas. Surveys tell us that people are stressed at Christmas. Are you stressed at Christmas? Don't be stressed at Christmas. <laughs> Many people are sad at Christmas. You know, for a few months back in the day, uh, I lived in Israel and had the joy of watching Israel practice the Sabbath. And so when you're there, you're watching people practice the Sabbath. And so once a week, this whole place comes to a stop. And people start on Tuesday. And so me, sort of where I was at in that time, I'm like, why are you, pro, pro, you, know, why are you preparing on Friday for Tuesday? Because that's what you do to not be stressed. So on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, they're preparing for the Sabbath. Because on Friday, everything's going to shut down. And you're going to go with your friends. You're going to go with your family. And you're going to shut yourselves for a meal and for a celebration. And can I tell you, it's fun. It's really fun. Then the next day, it's Saturday, and the end of the day, everybody opens up, and it's another great celebration. So in terms of Israel, just related to that, they practice stopping. So Christmas, as I sort of look at it, I realize that people get stressed because we're not used to stopping. And so this is that one time where now we're going to stop. And now it stresses us out because it's always something more. It's always something more. It's always something more. We're not used to stopping. 
We're not used to practicing the Sabbath in any Christian form of that. And it's go, go, go. And now this one day, we're going to say everything's got to work together and everyone's got to be happy. We realize that that is stressful because we're not practicing the nature of stopping. Paul here, in terms of proclaiming Christ, he's proclaiming Christ of Christmas. He has certain things that we, we need to talk about. For example, in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so when Paul's talking about advancing the gospel, what was Paul proclaiming? What did he know? Well, the first thing is that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. You need to internalize that, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. The God of the burning bush was actually Jesus. And so one of the ways you can understand that is to understand that Christ is in all Scripture. So I like that phrase. Jesus Christ is in all Scripture. In fact, I almost want us to have that as a mantra that we say to one another because it's actually true. Jesus Christ is in all Scripture. When you actually open your Bible, when you open it anywhere, you're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ there on every single page and every single chapter. And so Jesus Christ is in all Scripture. But here are a few Simple examples of what Paul knew when we say Jesus Christ is Yahweh. In John's gospel, there are these I am statements. And so John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says he's the bread of life. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Christ says that he was at creation, creating the world. That's Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 16. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Christ says that he was in the burning bush. That's another I am statement. Before Abraham was, I am. Christ was in the manger. The, the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, that Christ was actually in the manger. Now listen, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask to talk to one of these shepherds. These are Now the shepherds by reputation, like any other profession, they're good shepherds and bad shepherds, and you see these in the Bible. So there are some people that say, hey, all these shepherds were bad guys. No, don't believe that. And, you know, some will say they're all good guys. No, don't believe that either. They're just for good shepherds and bad shepherds out there, and that was the point. But these guys were good ones. And so Luke chapter 2, you know, what we know about shepherds for sure is that they were like tradesmen, kind of no-nonsense guys. And so I could just picture this. You know, we're in heaven. Hey, shepherd guys, tell us, tell us what it was like when you saw Jesus there when they came. They go, a lot of angels. <laughs> Anything more you want to tell us about that? No, a lot of angels. A lot of angels. Okay, well, what were the angels like? I mean, tell us what they were like. Well, they were big. They're big. Angels are big. Anything you want more you want to describe about that? No, no, a lot of them, and they were big. They were big. Okay, well, what were they saying? What were they saying? Okay, well, they, they, they weren't singing. Everybody who says they're singing, they weren't singing. They were actually saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God on the highest. Glory in the God in the highest. That's all they kept saying. They just kept saying that. They said it over and over again. That's all you need to know. All right, these would be the shepherds guys in heaven talking, talking about this. Glory to God in highest, peace to men on earth. And then, of course, they would see that there was actually, actually told to go see Jesus in the manger. Now, let me ask you, how obedient are you to God? All right, we're not going to take a survey. Of course, we're not going to do that. And we're all new covenant here, so it's always by grace. You have to understand 
They got like this revelation from God out in the middle of nowhere. Their job is to not leave. Yes? They get this revelation and they go, yeah, you know what? I guess if an angel shows up, there's a lot of them. They're really big. I think we're going to go see. And they're going to go be obedient to that. And they're going to go see it. And they're going to see Jesus Christ in the manger, born like that. Incredible. This is what Paul knew. This is what he was proclaiming, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. And so let me give you a series of phrases that are going to encourage you as to things in the text later on that Paul was talking about in the church of Philippi as he wrote this and as he was preaching in general. Here is a list very quickly that evil has no power over those in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And this is the Christmas story. And that's what he was proclaiming. That God has gifts for you that you've not yet opened. Amen? This is the gospel and part of the Christmas story. That prayers can be answered. That you can break cycles of depression. That you can break cycles of addiction. That weakness makes you strong in Christ. That death means rejoicing in heaven. And if you're suffering, it can be redeemed. This is the Christmas story. The proclamation of that. So Paul was proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. This is what he's getting at when he says, in part, when he says, I want you to know it's really served to advance the gospel. What is the gospel? That is part of the gospel. What did Paul know? What did really Paul know as he says here that so that it has become, verse 13, known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of the imprisonment for Christ. Most of my brothers are confident in the Lord that my imprisonment, because of my imprisonment. Here's what he knew. Second thing that Paul knew, that Jesus is full of infinite and eternal happiness. He really is. And we sing it at Christmas, right? We don't sing depressing songs at Christmas. We sing happy songs at Christmas. We sing songs of joy, and it should be like that. Now, related to Jesus and happiness, go in John's gospel here. I want to cross-reference a few things because I want you to read it. And I want to pick up in John chapter 15. And we're going to take a very quick view of a few verses. In John chapter 15 and in verse 11, this is John's gospel. Jesus here is teaching. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is Jesus talking. Or else believe on the accounts. Wait a minute, I'm in the wrong verse. Oh, pastor, get with it. I was in chapter 14. That's a nice verse though. 1511. Yeah, there we go. You're going to like this one. Jesus again is talking. These things I have spoken to you that my what? My joy may be in you. That your what? Joy. Okay, so think about this. That your joy. Now, is that the completeness of what's being said in the text there? Because what comes next? What comes next? That your joy might be full. Full. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to you. It's part of the Christmas story. It's part of the gospel. Okay, we're going to go now to chapter 16. So go one page in your Bible. 
in chapter 16 and in verse 24. And in verse 24, Jesus is still talking. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that you're, again, we're going to play, we're going to do this again, that you're what? And what's the word at the end of that sentence? Full. That your joy may be full. So here's what you need to know. If Jesus, and we have a third one coming, if he says something emphatically, and then he says it again, and then he says it again, and then he lives it and demonstrates it, how serious is he? Absolutely. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 13. So in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, really one page over, and in verse 13, the text is going to say, But now I'm coming to you, and these I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So one of the things we admit to one another as Christians is that we're not in the natural, in the carnality of our flesh, we're not good at making ourselves happy. We don't really know how to make ourselves happy. We need God to teach us that and mentor us and, and, and help us understand how to be happy. But what you need to know is that this is the teaching of the Bible. Go back to Philippians. That Jesus is full of infinite and eternal happiness. Paul's version, I read you from John's gospel, but Paul's version, some of you might be more familiar with. And it's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where he says the fruit of the Spirit, and you could probably shout it out with me, right? Is love and joy and peace. And then there's a long list. Love, joy, and peace. You want more of it? That's what he's offering in the gospel. So Paul knew this. And so though Paul is pressed with very negative circumstances, nobody raises their hand, even in the ancient world, and says, I'd like to be in prison. That'd be great. I know. Let's buy a timeshare that's in prison. Right? That'd be great. Our vacation home will be to be in bondage. You know, nobody does that. But here he is. He's under house arrest. He has, he's, not, he's not like in a dungeon. He's in a house arrest circumstance. But it's not fun. It's not what he wants. All of his rights are restricted. In some period of time, he's actually chained to a Roman soldier because they don't know what to do with him. And so he's sometimes chained to a Roman soldier, and he starts looking at that guy. We have all kinds of stories within church history and the testimony here in Scripture where Paul goes, okay, hey, we're chained to one. How are you doing? Shut up, Paul. Now nah, we're going to be like this for a long time. Let me just pray for you because you're having a bad day. I have to hang out with the Apostle Paul. I'll pray for you right now. Shut up, Paul. I really want to be praying for me. You know, I'm going to get in trouble. They don't, they don't want me talking to you, Paul. I'm going, to lose my, I'm going to lose my retirement, my 401K. Please shut up. No, I'm going to pray for you to be baptized in the Spirit right now. Don't move. You're going to love it. Woom. Guy gets saved. Then hook him next one. Right? This is, this is how the testimony goes where the Imperial Guard, this Royal Marines, this crack unit uh, of, of these Navy-type seals in the ancient Roman world, one person gets saved. And then they're, they're going to exchange that person with Paul. And, and it's like, you know, it's like, well, did, 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 did Paul talk to you? Yeah, I did. Did you get saved? Yeah, I'm born again. Yeah, Caesar's not God. Jesus, that guy's God. Okay, well, they told you not to do that. I know, try it. It's not going to work, <laughs> right? They're going to chain another guy to him, right? Another guy to him, another guy to him. 
all the way to what we know is that Roman is that Caesar's family in Rome began to actually come to Christ. Because he knew that even if I'm in negative circumstances, I can still, in the truthfulness of the pain of my negative circumstances, I can still be attached to the happiness of God in a supernatural way and watch supernatural power work in my life as a testimony unto God. Isaiah chapter 61 has a prophecy about Jesus' happiness, and it ends in his first section there related to the favor of the year of the Lord, and then Jesus would read that in Luke 4. The testimony of people who hung around Jesus is that he was just, just bleeding, bleeding out joy and happiness from God, despite the fact that he would encounter tremendous opposition. I think that's really fascinating as we talk about our culture. And as I mentioned earlier, that we don't know how to be happy without God. Uh, this has not changed. It's actually gotten worse since the pandemic. But more than two-thirds, and people argue about the number, you know, like 65% of what I'm about to say, 70%. Some people have it at three-quarters. It's at least two-thirds of the entire population of the United States is on some form of antidepressant. Now, I'm not judging anybody who needs to be on antidepressant. There's weird things that happens in our body. But I'm just saying, why are we listening to our culture when it comes to happiness? We listen to all our cultural icons. We have these cultural icons in Hollywood and so many other places, and then they show that the fact that they're truly sad people, and many of them take their lives. Listen, listen to Jesus Christ when it comes to being happy. Listen to Jesus Christ in terms of the promises and what it means for us. Most complete, truthful, loving, compassionate, happy person to ever walk planet Earth is Jesus Christ. He knew how to be strong. So next, in terms of the gospel, so what Paul is going to mention here is that his life was full of purpose and it was full of design. You know, these are these words, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, it's the story I just told you. He's in prison. Now, I'm sure that you liked what I told you about Paul in prison in terms of, that's amazing. I mean, people around Paul were coming to know Christ. Roman soldiers who were told not to come to Christ are coming to Christ. And then Caesar's household and all of them are coming to Christ. And we know Caesar would have none of that. Isn't that an incredible story? Okay, how do we get that story? Someone had to go to prison. Someone had to, had to say, I'll cooperate with the Spirit if I'm driven into that place so that the miracle of God would be illustrated and shown. Paul saw that his life was full of purpose, that Jesus' life was full of purpose, and that his life in Christ was full of incredible design. In verse 12, he has these two, two verses I want to I show you. In verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to kind of highlight that what has happened to me, and I'm telling you what has happened to him, as he mentioned in the text, is advancing the gospel. But then I want you to cross-reference that in this, just a couple verses later with verse 16, where he says, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, knowing that I'm put here. What has happened to me and knowing that I'm put here? What has happened to me and knowing that I'm put here? Is that you? 
when you look at your life circumstances. You were put here because of Christ and knowing that I'm here because of Christ and that what's happened to me. Maybe some things are negative. Maybe some things are actually my fault. Maybe some things came against me. Maybe some bad circumstances that I just never predicted. But yet God is sovereign over all of that. And Paul can say that. Paul's not Jesus. Paul's not perfect, as we spent time illustrating earlier. So what has happened to me, and I'm put here. And so Caesar's household and all of them are coming to Christ. He sees that there's purpose. He sees that his present moments of pain is actually the training ground for what is next. My present moment of pain, Paul says, is actually this training ground for what comes next. So what comes next for Paul? Well, he doesn't exactly know. We know that he'll be martyred. We know that he'll give his life. We'll know that he'll have more chance to preach the gospel. But we don't know. What's next for you? But we don't know. But we know that what you're going through in Christ is a training ground for that next. And that next is ordained of God. Let me run for home this way. Each of the Gospels tells a story related to Jesus being in the wilderness. And in Matthew's Gospel, it's quite lengthy. It's, and so Jesus is going to be baptized by John. That's a really beautiful moment. The Spirit's going to actually drive him to the wilderness. And it's going to be 40 days, which we understand to be a day for every year that Israel was wandering in the desert. And he's going to be 40 days, and then he's going to have to encounter the evil one and overcome him. And so here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand about Jesus in the wilderness. Ever felt like you've been in the wilderness? I'm sure if I took a you know, show of hands, there'd be more than one person to say, yeah, I know what it's like to be in the wilderness. So Jesus goes to the wilderness to conquer that wilderness so that you know that when you're in that wilderness, he's there with you, showing you how to come home. And when you're in that wilderness and you feel alone, it's one of the more common emotions we have. Pastor, I feel so alone in this circumstance. And some of them are real. And you go in that wilderness experience. You don't understand all of your circumstances. So Jesus is driven by the Spirit into that wilderness, which normally would be the domain of darkness, normally the domain of Satan and demons. And he goes into that wilderness and he conquers it and defeats it so that when you are authored into that wilderness, he is there and he is there and he is bringing you home. And he's bringing you home the babe in the manger, as we preach and say, he's bringing you home where he redeems things, where he breaks curses, where he is God in human flesh, where he is the Lamb of God, where he is the Son of God, where he is the King of the universe. As Paul will say in the next chapter, the name above all names. And this would actually be Jesus bringing you home. And are you home with Christ? 
And if you're in that wilderness, he will bring you home. If you're any other place, you will do that. And so church, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to invite the prayer team up. And I'm going to invite you to get prayed over. I'm going to invite you to give your life to Christ. I'm going to invite you to humble yourself before God and experience the miracle working of Christ your Savior. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray over us as a church. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak with great power to us at moments like this, God, where we are gathered in your name, gathered in your name. And so, Father, I pray over those that would be in the wilderness. I pray, God, that you would speak to them and bring them home. Give them, Lord Jesus, faith to believe you. Give them sweetness in their heart to come before you. I would pray this now. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.